One of my heroes of the faith is John Wesley. John Wesley was used by God to spark uh, revival in the Methodist movement. It started in England, eventually came to the U.S., and they say that John Wesley probably rode on horseback over the course of his life 250,000 miles, preaching the gospel. Story is told that one day John Wesley was riding his horse, and while he was riding, it dawned on him that he hadn't been persecuted for Christ in the last three days because of his boldness for Christ. No one had thrown an egg or a brick at him. Concerned about his spiritual state, he stopped his horse, dismounted his horse, and he got on his knees and he said, Lord, if there is any wicked way in me, please reveal to me if I have done something wrong. No sooner had he prayed that prayer, there was a man behind the bushes who heard someone praying and when he peeked around the corner and saw it was John Wesley, he was hostile to Christianity. He said, I'm going to hit that preacher with a brick. And so he picked up a brick and he threw it at John Wesley. And of course, it missed John Wesley and went to the side. And when John Wesley saw it, he said, thank you, Lord, that you have not removed your presence from me. John Wesley was bold in his faith for Jesus Christ. Now, you may not be a John Wesley. I may not be a John Wesley, but God calls all of us to be bold in our faith for Jesus Christ. He wants us not to be CIA Christians who hide under a rock. He wants us to be tactful, loving, but he wants us to be unashamed for the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter was writing to a group of beleaguered Christians who were suffering for their faith, and Peter says this in chapter 4, verse 16. He says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, here it is, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Many of us struggle with being ashamed for Jesus Christ. All of us have been in situations where we should have spoken up for Christ and we didn't. Here are some questions to help you grow in your boldness for Jesus Christ. When was the last time you stood alone on the right side of something and it cost you something? When you hear someone being falsely accused, do you remain silent or clarify what you know to be right even when it is unpopular? When was the last time God prompted you to witness to a stranger or someone you knew personally? Did you remain silent or did you speak up? Have you dedicated your life to fulfill God's calling and are you determined to make whatever sacrifices God requires? What biblical convictions are you willing to die for? And finally, are you willing to be ostracized by others for the sake of Christ? The question is, how can we grow in our boldness? How can we be unashamed for the gospel? Well, that's the theme we're looking at in the book of 2 Timothy, so I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy. Last week, we embarked upon this book study, and the title of this message is How to Grow in Your Boldness or How to Be Unashamed for Jesus Christ. Now, remember, the Apostle Paul has been imprisoned a second time. He's not under house arrest, but rather he's in a dungeon in the Mamertine prison in Rome. It was an inhospitable environment, and he knew, according to chapter 4, that the end of his life was coming near. Nero would cut off his head, and so he writes his last swan song. He writes this last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, basically to motivate Timothy. Timothy was in Ephesus. He was on the other side of the world. And so Paul 
wants to pass the baton down to Timothy. He not only wants to encourage him in his faith, but Paul is looking at the broader scope of Christianity, and he wants to make sure that the truth was being passed down. And Timothy struggled with timidity. Timothy was in Ephesus. He was dealing with high-powered false teachers. He was dealing with potential persecution. And if you read the letter of 1 Timothy, Paul gives Timothy many charges, many commands, and Timothy, being timid and struggling with fear, began to disengage using his gifts. And so he writes 2 Timothy to motivate his son in the faith. Now, as we look at chapter 1, there are 10 ways in which you and I can grow in our boldness. There are 10 ways in which you and I can be unashamed for Jesus Christ. Let's review the first four that we looked at last week. If you and I want to grow in our boldness for Jesus Christ, the first thing we must do is remember godly servants from the past. Secondly, we must ask others to pray for us, develop a prayer partner. Thirdly, by way of review, I noted for you that we must develop loving, accountable relationships. And then finally last week, I noted for you that if you want to grow in your boldness in faith, you must be a saved, committed believer. And as I thought about that this week, I was reminded of the parable that Jesus told when he talked about the seed, which represents the Word of God that fell on shallow soil. See, a seed that falls on shallow soil represents a Christian that's not committed. They don't have roots. And Jesus said when the plant springs up, because it doesn't have deep roots and it's shallow, when the storms of life come, when the tests of life come, the sun scorches it and it withers. And that represents Christians today that are noncommittal. They're casual Christians. They're not really disciples of Jesus Christ. They're not following Christ. If you want to be bold for Christ, if you want to grow in being unashamed for Christ, you got to be a Christian that's not that seed that fell on shallow soil. you got to be a sincere, committed believer. And that's what Paul said to Timothy. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your mother Lois and your grandmother Eunice. And he says, I'm confident now lives in you also. Well, for this morning, we want to look at the fifth way that you and I can be bold in our faith for Jesus Christ, and that is this. We must exercise our spiritual gift. We must exercise our spiritual gift. Notice, if you will, chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, verse 6. He says to Timothy, Timothy, for this reason, because your faith is genuine, because your faith is unhypocritical, and I know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he says, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul here has to remind Timothy to kindle afresh the gift of God. Fear had gripped Timothy's life. And as a result, Timothy began to disengage from using his spiritual gift. He was scared of persecution. He didn't want to suffer for the gospel like all of us struggle. And so he tells Timothy essentially to throw another log on the fire. One of my favorite programs that I've watched in the past is Man vs. Wild. If you've ever seen Man vs. Wild, Bear Grylls is a man's man. He was in the British National Forces. This guy has traveled the globe, and basically he's been in some of the most extreme circumstances, and he tells you how to survive. He's eaten stuff that would make a billy goat puke. And when, a lot of times, when he wants to start a fire he would take this flint rock and he would basically try to get a spark going in some of the kindle that he would gather up on the ground. And once that spark hit, 
he would then begin to fan it by blowing into it. And then it would begin to light up and a fire would start. Well, Timothy started off with the fire and then it dwindled down. And he tells Timothy, I want you to kindle afresh the gift of God. In other words, Timothy, don't neglect your gift. You were on fire for Christ. You were bold for Christ. But now you're beginning to retreat. And listen, how many of us like Timothy need to be reminded of this? Because we all struggle at times with being bold for Christ. Sometimes we struggle in our walk with God. We develop complacency. The longer you're a Christian, the more you're going to have to battle complacency. You're going to have to battle spiritual laziness. We all go through those desert experiences where we feel like we're in spiritual quicksand. We can't get out. And we feel like we're going through the motions. We've lost our first love, as Revelation chapter 2 says to the church at Ephesus. Timothy may have lost his first love. We don't know. Or maybe he was disengaging because of his spirit, because he was facing persecution using his spiritual gifts. We don't know exactly, but Paul is going to challenge him here to basically kindle afresh the gift of God. And I wonder how many of you are sitting here this morning, and maybe you're in that situation where you need to start to use your spiritual gifts. Remember several weeks ago, I talked about at the moment of salvation, all of us have been given a number of spiritual gifts. It's our gift mix. Some of you need to evaluate and say, okay, what gifts do I have, and how can I serve the Lord Jesus Christ? For some of you, it's not initiating the use of your gifts, but it's reinvigorating your spiritual gifts. You used them at one time, but now you're neglecting them, and you've disengaged because the fire and the embers have burned low. And what God is telling you this morning is you need to stir up the gift of God that God has given you. Now, notice Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to use your gifts that were given to you through the laying on of hands. What is he talking about there? What is the laying on of hands? Well, in the Bible, laying on of hands represents solidarity. You are identifying with that person. In the Old Testament, when they would lay hands on an animal, it's as if your sin was being transferred to that animal. You were identifying with that animal. And so evidently, Timothy, at his baptism or at his ordination had the elders and the Apostle Paul lay hands on him to set him apart for ministry. And while he was being set apart, a prophetic word was given to Timothy concerning his gifts and his calling. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. Timothy, you remember those prophecies that were made about your gifts and your calling, I'm reminding you of this because I want you to continue to serve God vigorously. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he says this, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. When did they lay their hands on Timothy? We don't know. His baptism service, his ordination service, they were praying for Timothy. They corporately identified with Timothy, and somebody gave a prophetic word to Timothy and said, Timothy, here is your calling, and here are your gifts. And so he's reminding Timothy, look, I want you to line up with God's calling and gifting in your life. You say, well, what were the gifts that Timothy were given? We don't know exactly. We could surmise that it was leadership we could surmise it was the gift of teaching. We get a hint in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. He says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. So Timothy had the gift of evangelism. 
And he was beginning to neglect his gift. He was shying away from it. And listen, if you and I want to develop boldness in our life, one of the ways that we do that is we start to use our spiritual gifts. Now I realize some of you have gifts that are not outward, that are not demonstrative. They're not upfront ministries, and that's okay. Some of you have gifts of mercy and gifts of service, and you know what? Your gifts are just as important as those who have outward gifts. You may be like Timothy, a type B personality. Paul was a type A personality. God works through the variety of personalities in the body of Christ. And I realize it's harder for a type B personality to be bold in their faith. But listen, if you are faithful with the gifts that God has given you, the natural talents and the spiritual gifts, if you are faithful in the little things, God will help you develop boldness in your life. Now again, boldness doesn't mean that you are not tactful. It doesn't mean you don't use wisdom. It doesn't mean that there isn't a timing and a place. Obviously, we're not to be obnoxious as Christians, but nevertheless, we are not to be CIA Christians. And so start with your spiritual gifts. If you don't know what your gifts are, as advertised, we're going to be doing class 301. But the key is this, get involved and do something. You want to move in a direction where the Spirit of God can begin to direct you. You may try something out and go, that's not me, that's not my gifting, that's not my passion. What are you passionate about? What do you love to do? If I have the gift of teaching and I love children, then I probably should be teaching children. If I have the gift of service and I have a brokenness for those who are homeless, I probably should be, sure, uh, should be serving the homeless. And so find your gifts and begin to use them for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because a lot of times we neglect our gifts. I remember years ago when I was pastoring in New Jersey, I was preaching a series of messages on not being a carnal Christian from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul indicted the Corinthians for being carnal. And so after the service, a lady came up to me and she said, can I meet with you this week? I got to share some things with you. I said, sure. So we met up at Starbucks and she said, Mike, that message is exactly what I needed. She said, my whole life I have been a carnal Christian. I accepted Christ years ago when I was young and I've been allowing myself to be carnal, and God has convicted me that I need to be a spirit-filled Christian that is involved in ministry. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is challenging us here when it comes to using our spiritual gifts. There's a sixth way that you and I could be bold in our faith for Jesus Christ, and that is this, rely on God's power. Rely on God's power. Notice, if you will, verse 7, he says this to Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, or a spirit of cowardice, but rather, he says, God has given us power. That is the energy to use our spiritual gifts. He's also given us love. That is the manner of how to use our spiritual gifts. We're to love others as we serve them. And then he's also given us a sound mind. That's the wisdom to know how to use our spiritual gifts and the word sound mind refers to a mind that's not all over the place, that's disciplined, and watch this, is not allowing fear to control the mind. But I want you to know in verse 7, he mentions to Timothy, Timothy, be bold in the use of your gifts, be bold in your faith, because God has given you power in verse 7. Notice verse 8, he says this, therefore, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. In other words, don't be ashamed to proclaim the gospel about Jesus Christ or, Timothy, of me, his prisoner. 
Guilt by association. If Paul, if Timothy associated with Paul, he could be thrown in jail like Paul. He says, rather, Timothy, join with me in suffering for the gospel. And then notice this phrase again, according to the power of God. Two times he mentions the power of God. If you and I are going to be bold in our faith, if we're going to be unashamed, we must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You see this throughout the New Testament. You and I cannot live the Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see, Timothy was battling fear. He was more scared than a long-tailed cat in a room of rocking chairs. We've all been there before. And so he says, Timothy, you need to rely upon the power of God. And listen, the Bible makes it very clear that you and I cannot live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit, because too often in the American church, we are bound by fear. There is a spirit of fear that blankets the American church, and we are like the Antarctica. We are frozen over at the mouth. We don't want to speak up for Jesus Christ because we are shackled by fear. And the Bible says that we're not to be controlled by fear. God has given us a sound mind. We're not to fear what man can do to us. Notice what Proverbs 29.25 says. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 to the disciples when he sent them out on a missionary jaunt, he says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, the early church relied upon the power of God in order to have courage and boldness and not to be ashamed. Do you remember in the book of Acts when God poured out his spirit on Pentecost? The religious leaders did not like the apostles preaching the resurrection from the dead, so they arrested them, they beat them, and then they let them go. When they let them go, here is what they prayed in Acts chapter 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and tucked their tails between their legs. Is that what it said? It says they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage against the people and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And notice how they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They didn't shy, they didn't shy back. They didn't say, well, Lord, you know, we need to step back a little bit. We're being beaten for our faith. We're being persecuted. No, they prayed for greater boldness. They said in verse 30, stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And notice what happened in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. See, the early church realized that it was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled them to do the work of God and to be bold in their faith. And listen, I realize this on a personal level. As I mentioned to you, I got saved in high school in ninth grade. My coach led me to Christ. And for the first year, 
nothing really happened in my life. I didn't see a lot of fruit. I didn't see a lot of changes. And I was dating a girl at the time. She attended a Presbyterian church. And she said, Mike, our youth group is going to Disney World. It was only about a four-hour drive from Miami. She said, do you want to go? And I said, of course. So I signed up, and we went to Disney World, and I got assigned two Christians that I would stay with in the hotel room. Well, I went out to see my girlfriend, and when I came back into the hotel room, these two gentlemen that I roomed with were having a Bible study. And they said, Mike, sit down, have a Bible study with us. So I sat down, and I, I can't tell you to this day what they were talking about, but all I know is at that moment, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I did not ask for it. I did not seek it. And no, I did not speak in tongues, and I didn't get into weird stuff. But all I know is I felt the power of the Holy Spirit come on me, and I believe at that moment I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that point on, the whole trajectory of my life changed. When I got on the bus to go back to Miami... I said, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I want to do what you want me to do. But I said, Lord, I need someone to disciple me. And my Bible teacher ended up discipling me. Listen, that was a turning point in my life. And then I felt the call to ministry when I got into college. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're going to be bold in your faith, you got to rely on the power of the Spirit. That's why he says to Timothy two times, you got to suffer by the power of God, and you got to rely on the power of God because it is the power of God that enables us to use our spiritual gifts. Years ago, my daughter was preparing some food, my younger daughter, and she brought it into our living room, and she forgot her drink or she needed to get her drink, so she put it on the couch, and she went into the kitchen, got her drink. When she came back out, our dog was up on its hind legs, and it was eating the food. I don't blame the dog. Well, she did something she shouldn't have done. She said, hey, she spooked the dog and she grabbed, I believe, the dog by the collar and pulled the dog back. Well, the dog bit her in the mouth and she had a scar. We had to take her to the emergency room. They stitched her up and she had a scar that was visible for a while. She put um, some stuff on it, and eventually the scar went away. It's barely noticeable. And I thought to myself, if you and I are going to be filled with the Spirit, if we're going to rely on the power of God, we need a scar every day. You say, what do you mean I need a scar? Well, the scar represents what you need to do to be filled with the Spirit. Notice the acrostic up on the screen. S stands for this, surrender to God in obedience daily. If you want to be a Spirit-filled Christian who basically has the power of God, you must surrender to God in obedience daily. Listen, you got to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can't just be a casual Christian who has one foot in the world, one foot in Christianity, and you only come to God when you need Him. God wants disciples of Christ who are obeying Him. And listen, you're not going to obey God perfectly, and that's why C stands for this. You must confess your sins daily to God. You're going to blow it, but you got to confess your sins, repent of your sins daily. And then A, ask God to fill you with the Spirit daily. When I read the Bible... When I engage in prayer, I ask God, Lord, fill me with the Spirit today. When I'm in the shower, Lord, fill me with the Spirit today. I cannot live the Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, you have the letter R. You have to read the Word and pray daily. Why? Because listen, the Word of God is the mind of God. 
And when you read the Word and you are imbibing the mind of God, you have the mind of Christ to the degree that you are in the Word of God. When you're controlled by the Word of God, the Spirit of God can work through you. When you're praying, the Spirit of God can work through you. And so all of us have to have a daily scar. These are the four things that you and I must do to rely upon the power of God. And listen, one of the reasons why in the American church we're not seeing effectiveness is because the church is littered with carnal Christians who are basically casual Christians. They're not disciples of Christ who are spirit-filled. You say, well, wait a minute, Mike, that spirit-filled stuff, that's for those Pentecostals. No, it's Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says be being kept filled with the Spirit. That is normal Christian living. We're all called to be empowered by God. And listen, you're not going to be filled with the Spirit if you're not doing the scar acrostic and walking in that. And so, you and I, if we're going to grow in our boldness, we must rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to be bold and unashamed in our faith. Well, there's one final thing that you and I must do if we're going to be bold for Jesus Christ and unashamed, and that is this, be willing to suffer for the gospel. Be willing to suffer for the gospel. Notice, if you will, verse 8. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. In other words, stand for Christ, stand for the gospel, or of me as prisoner, but here it is, join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. He says, Timothy, if you're going to be bold and unashamed, you have to have the mindset and you have to prepare yourself that you're going to get a reaction for being a Christian and living out your faith and sharing Christ. Now, in this country, we've had it good. We've had freedoms. We still have freedoms, and we thank the Lord for that. We don't want to be guilty for that. We don't want to uh, disparage that. But listen, you know what it's done in our country? It's created a softness among the American uh, church. It has created an unwillingness to be bold. Because a lot of times we don't want to suffer. And you know, in the early church, when a disciple would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, one of the things that they would teach them is, hey, you're going to suffer for the gospel. In America, we tell new converts, God's going to bless you and prosper you, and he's going to give you health and wealth. And by the way, he may do that, but that's not the message that we tell other people. We have to tell people that, look, being a Christian may mean you're going to suffer for the gospel. That's what they did in the early church. For example, Peter was writing to persecuted Christians, and in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. In other words, have the same mindset. If Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. Jesus said in John 15, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says to Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You got to be willing to suffer for the gospel. Now, does that mean we look for suffering? No. Does that mean we're obnoxious and we bring on suffering? No. But it does mean that I'm bold for Christ. I die to self and I want to be unashamed for the gospel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, he said to the Thessalonians, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. See, they warned the early disciples, this is part and parcel of being a Christian. 
And see, we have had so many freedoms, we have had so much religious liberty in this country, we have grown complacent where we're not willing to take a stand. Why? Because we are conditioned by comfort. We are conditioned by everything that brings pleasure. We don't want to suffer. So if somebody looks at me wrong because I declare Christ, we tuck our tails between our legs and we run. And the Bible says not to do that. We may be persecuted if we preach the gospel and are bold. You may lose your job. You may lose your marriage. You may lose your family and your children. You may be verbally or physically abused. You may be demoted from your job. You may be overlooked for a promotion. You may be interrogated and thrown in jail. You may be sued. You may even lose your life for the sake of the gospel. We don't look for suffering, but we do embrace it when it comes. And so here's a question that we all have to grapple with. I do too, because I'm like you. I struggle. Am I willing, like Paul said to Timothy, to suffer for the cause of Christ? One guy that gives me encouragement is a man by the name of Polycarp. Maybe you've heard of him. Polycarp was the generation right after Jesus Christ had died and the apostles had died. Polycarp was the pastor at the church of Smyrna. Smyrna was that church mentioned in Revelation chapter 2. Polycarp was one of its pastors. And Polycarp was an old man. And the story says that the Roman authorities were looking for him. And they wanted to arrest him because he was one of the main ringleaders of Christianity. And when they were getting ready to approach him, he had a vision. And God showed him in that vision that he was going to be burned at the stake. And so his disciples, and by the way, he was personally discipled, tradition says, by the apostle John. His other disciples said, Polycarp, let us get you out of here so they don't find you. And he said, no. He said, the Lord told me that I'm going to suffer martyrdom for my faith. Well, the Roman authorities arrested him, and they interrogated him, and they knew he was an old man. They wanted to show some compassion. And so they said, Polycarp, all you got to do is just take a little bit of incense, pinch it, and offer it up to Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. He said, I'm not doing that. I'm going to take a stand for Christ. They said, Polycarp, if you don't do that, we'll throw you to the wild beasts. He said, do what you may. They said, Polycarp, if you don't do it, we're going to burn you at the stake. And here is his famous words that he gives in his boldness for Jesus Christ. Quote, he says, 86 years I have served Christ and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? End quote. He was bold. He was willing to suffer for the gospel, even if it meant being burned at the stake. I've often asked myself that question, to what degree am I willing to go for the sake of the gospel? Now, one tradition says that when the guards realized they had no nails or rope to affix polycarp to the post, Polycarp assured them that no restraint was necessary, that Jesus would empower him to endure the flames. Another account says that the flames actually avoided his body, arching over his head. When the guards realized that Polycarp could not be burned, they stabbed him with a spear, and the blood that ran down extinguished the flames of fire. We don't know exactly what happened, one biographer said that when they burned him, it glowed like bread in an oven, and they said it smelt like bread. 
It's as almost as if God was offering him up as a sweet sacrifice unto the Lord. Polycarp was willing to stand for Jesus Christ. He was willing to suffer. Now, there are people throughout church history that recoiled and denied Christ. You say, well, are they going to hell? No. If they're genuine believers, listen, Peter denied the Lord what? Three times. Christians can deny the Lord. How many times have I denied Jesus Christ? When I've had opportunity to speak up and I didn't speak up. Now, notice the gospel that he mentions as we close, for which we suffer. Paul tells Timothy, suffer for the gospel. What is this gospel that you and I are called to suffer for? Well, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 of 2 Timothy tells us. Paul says in verse 9 to Timothy as he explains the gospel, who has saved us? Who is that? God is the one who has saved us. He initiated salvation. And notice, he called us with a holy calling. Not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. In other words, this gospel that God has extended to humanity is not earned or achieved by good works. You can't merit your way into heaven. It is God's grace. It is unmerited favor. And notice, it was prepared in eternity past. But now, verse 10, has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Listen, the plan of salvation goes all the way to eternity past, but in time, Jesus became flesh and revealed the gospel message, and notice what it does. The gospel abolishes death, and it brings life and immortality to light through the gospel. So he says, Timothy, this is the gospel that I want you to suffer for. And if we were to summarize verses 9 and 10, here is what Paul is saying about the gospel. Number one, God is the source of salvation, not us. Number two, the gospel or plan of salvation was determined before time. Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world, Revelation 13 says in Revelation 17. Number three, the plan of salvation was revealed in time through Christ coming to earth to die and rise from the dead. Number four, the gospel is received by grace and not by works. You cannot earn your way to heaven. It is a gift. You receive it by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And then number six, if received, the gospel defeats death and leads to everlasting life. And then finally, he says about the gospel, once received, it should produce holiness in our life. So he says, Timothy, I want you to suffer for the gospel. Here is the gospel, and you know what he's saying to Timothy? You and I are a part of this great plan that God enacted in eternity past. It will carry into eternity future, and while we're in this life and time, you and I stored the gospel. We are a part of a great plan of what God is doing. So he says, Timothy, suffer for the gospel. It's worth it, and you can't do it apart from the power of God. Now listen, we all struggle, don't we? And you know what? When you struggle and you fail and you're ashamed, like I am sometimes, I got to get back up and say, God, thank you for your mercy and grace in my life. Thank you for forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord, for not speaking up. Forgive me for not taking that stand like I should. God, help me to be a greater, bolder witness for you. Because listen, if I'm not willing to do it now, what's going to happen when the greater test comes in America if it comes? If Christians are thrown in jail, if I'm not willing to stand for Christ in the little things here, why am I going to stand for Christ when the big event happens here? 
And so what did we learn this morning? Ten ways you and I could be bold for Christ. We looked at several of them. Number five, exercise your spiritual gift. Start there. If you want to be bold, don't retreat, don't disengage. Begin to use your gifts for Jesus Christ. Number six, we learned this morning, rely on God's power. You cannot rely on your own strength to live the Christian life. And then finally, be willing to suffer for the gospel. Now, the beginning of the new year, we're going to look at the final three points on how to be bold for Jesus Christ. What I'm going to do the next two weeks is we're going to get into a Christmas message for the next two weeks, and then, of course, Christmas Eve, and then the youth are presenting the last Sunday of the month. And so beginning in January, we'll finish up chapter one on how to be a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for reminding us we're all like Timothy. Some of us are more like Paul, but most of us are like Timothy. We struggle. Father, forgive us for being ashamed. Forgive the American church for being shackled by fear. I pray, Father, that we would be bold in our faith, tactful. May we exercise wisdom, but I pray that we would take a stand, even if it means we get ostracized, even if it means family members don't talk to us, even if it means our children cut us off. Father, I think of those overseas who have been in prison, who have been maimed, who have lost children, who have lost loved ones. Give them strength. Many of them face far more persecution and suffering for the gospel. God, give them grace. Give them strength. And as St. Augustine said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We know the more that Satan tries to destroy Christians, it multiplies Christians. God, we thank you. We pray for a boldness in the American church, and we pray in the name of Jesus that you would break the shackles of fear. We love you this morning and thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, hey, thank you for being here this morning. Um, before you leave, say hi to somebody that you don't know. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.